The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Our show is all about the exciting world of real estate, and in particular, how it relates to the lucrative New York market. But if you're not planning a real estate transaction in New York, we still have plenty of information that you can use no matter where you are. Now, here's your host, Vince Rocco. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Good Morning New York. It is Tuesday, February 24th, and I am your host, Vince Rocco. And as usual, we are coming to you live from Blastoff Studios in Times Square, New York. Uh, We have a full show today, and I'm thrilled to have my guest here in the studio with me. First up is uh, Leonard Steinberg. Leonard embodies the new breed of modern real estate professional who provides substantive knowledge about all aspects of real estate and full-fledged, elegant, and discreet service to sellers. Elegant and discreet. I like that, Leonard. Uh, To developers and buyers of New York property with almost two decades of experience. He is the president of Compass, formerly known as Urban Compass, here in New York City, with sales in excess of $2 billion, Leonard leads the direction for Compass and also leads his own team that has consistently ranked in the top 10 in the United States. We will talk to Leonard in just a minute. Uh, next up is Lion Porter. I first became aware of Lion in early 2014 when The Real Deal named him one of uh, New York's top rising stars. Now, Lion is heading the uh, lead broker. Uh, and the sales team for Corcoran at 425 East 22nd Street, a new development coming to market, and we will talk about that soon. He also, and I'm interested in this, runs a top bed and breakfast in Brooklyn called Urban Cowboy, and he'll be on in a few minutes. Leonard, good morning, and thank you so much for being here with us today. Good morning. Thanks for having me. So why the name change from Urban Compass to Compass? I think that caught a couple of us by surprise. I like the change, but explain to us, what is that about? It's actually marketing magic. It is uh, the equivalent of the Apple computer company becoming Apple. It is the equivalent of the Facebook becoming Facebook. I think we live in a world where people's attention spans are so limited that having a one-word name is very meaningful. And when you have a word like compass that's all about direction and guidance, it is real estate marketing magic. Um, it seems to be um, taking on pretty nicely. Is do, What kind of feedback are you getting so far, if any? It's been a couple of weeks, two, three weeks maybe? It's actually been overwhelming, mm. well beyond our expectations. I think the world is resonating with the name brilliantly. And the miracle is that we own that URL name, which we never thought in our wildest dreams would be possible. So being known as Compass in a world where direction and guidance is really needed, it's kind of a dream. I agree. All right. So let's go back a little bit. For years, you were a tremendous success at Douglas Elliman. What was the impetus for you to jump to a new firm? What was going on in your in your mind in those days? I've always felt that evolution is something you should never try <clears> to stop. And I believe that the uh, world was changing a lot more rapidly than the real estate industry. I saw it happening around me in a host of other industries. And I felt this was a great opportunity to take something you know, take the, grab the bull by the horns, so to speak, and really run with something and build something that I always dreamed was possible. 
So it was more than just leading your own team, very successful team of Douglas Elliman and doing, you know, top business. But it was something, something sort of what I went through a couple of years ago and wanting to be a part <clears throat> of taking something, growing it and making it larger than life. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, growing from there. So it was more than just becoming a broker or staying as a broker, but you wanted to do more leadership, more management, more company growth type things? I really wanted to be very uh, much an <clears throat> integral part of growing something that I believed was possible, that I dreamt of for many years, and be around a group of people who had a like-minded uh, approach to where I was heading. You know, I'd like our global audience, because this show uh, does get beamed around the world, to get a better understanding of who you are. You came to New York in 1986 from South Africa to work, <clears throat> excuse me, in the fashion industry. How did your journey take you into real estate? I don't remember a thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's been so long. Uh, I actually came to the United States on vacation and decided I'd explore the fashion industry, which is what uh, was, I, which is what I had actually studied. And I entered the fashion industry thinking I'd last for a week and learn about fashion and return to South Africa. And I ended up staying. And within five years of working for Victor Costa and uh, designing the New York collection for Christian Dior dresses, I started my own label, Julian Leonard. And then um, after over 10 years of being in the fashion industry, which is brutal, I had a midlife crisis at the age of 30 and decided to become a professional musician and realized that to be a professional musician, people actually had to pay to listen to what you were doing and no one wanted to pay a damn thing to hear anything I was saying <laughs> or playing on the piano. So I decided to explore real estate, which was always a passion, and I developed townhouses ready while I was in fashion. And um, one thing led to another and two decades later. Tell me a little bit about developing townhouses while you were, while you were in fashion. Um, I had wanted to build a, a townhouse for myself but instead built two and then it started to evolve into something that became very interesting because it was a combination of design, which was where I came from in fashion, and commerce and I've always been very attracted to the combination. Going back to South Africa in the, in the early days, did you have any interest in real estate at all or did you just come here blind wanting to do fashion and then you just kind of adopted the real estate you know, bug like a lot like the rest of us have. Oh, no. I caught the bug in South Africa already. I <clears> went <throat> to look at apartment buildings with my uh, family and um, I actually attended open houses starting from around the age of like six. My parents were uh, obsessed with knowing exactly what was for sale in the neighborhood and I actually would go to open houses on my own as a kid and the brokers would always think I was a lost child. <laughs> so um, – it was a little more relaxed back then. <laughs> you found great success as an agent and broker, you know, in this very competitive industry, you know, and I'm in it 14 years. I've always heard your name. I've always heard of your success. How did you do that in such a competitive, coming from fashion, coming from South Africa? How did you come into this very competitive New York City marketplace, actually in any profession, but most especially in real estate? How did you make yourself so successful almost from the very beginning? Well, I think it was extreme. What does it take? What does it take? It starts with a fake British accent. <laughs> <laughs> After that, everything's pretty easy. Um, no, I do think I have always had a very healthy work ethic. I've always felt that um, doing really thorough, detailed research and having substantive knowledge that you bring to the table would always have great value to any industry. And in real estate, I just was uh, very disciplined in what I was doing. I also viewed myself as a business. I never viewed myself as an employee. And I really applied that to everything and anything I did. And I always have wanted to innovate coming from a design background. So I think when you are in a mindset of innovation, I think you will always stand out in a crowd. And I think 
being a broker these days does require you to stand out in a crowd, but hopefully for the right reasons. We're going to talk a little bit more about your inspiration at your company and how you get the younger, newer um, agents to um, become successful. But <clears throat> you you are greatly admired. I mean, just look at the studio uh, people here today here just to listen to you. How do you take what you've done and bring it to you know your company as a leader? What do you you know? How do you inspire the people who work for you? You know, I learned at a very young age that if you build something great, people will come. I am not a believer in the hard sell. I have to tell you that uh, 98% of the people who have joined Compass have called us because they were interested in what we were doing. I think um, leading by example is the best form of leadership in my opinion. And I believe that what we're doing is very interesting to a lot of people because it's not only infusing this innovation through technology, but it is also pooling together a like-minded group of people who are likable and collaborative. And I think real estate brokers have two huge – there are two things that the consumer loathes the most about com, uh, brokers or agents. One, commission. No one likes to pay commission. But number two is they cannot stand the average broker's attitude and I do think, how many times have we heard in New York where a broker turns to their um, clients and says, but it's only another million dollars. Those kind of things that really irk the consumer are the things that we try and avoid. And I think if you pool together like-minded people, it makes for a very attractive nest. And so uh, on the heels of that, how does Compass stand out <clears throat> in the crowd among all of these many, many real estate companies today? You, you talk about technology innovation, and we are very well aware of that. You talk about a company. It sounds to me like a company um, philosophy. What What is it about Compass that people want to pick up the phone and call you and say, hey, Leonard, or, or your management staff, hey, Leonard, well, I'm interested in, in working at Compass? Well, what is it about your company that's really a standout? I think the first and foremost thing about uh, Compass is the fact that as a company, we look at the agents who – are part of Compass as our clients. So first and foremost, there's a major f uh, focus on the quality of agents and the services we provide them because ultimately a great uh, broker or great agent services the consumer in the best way and anything that services the consumer in a good way is healthy for the entire industry. So our primary focus is the broker and the agent and then the other focus is the consumer all of that we are designing to streamline the process to make the uh, entire real estate transactional process much simpler, much easier, much quicker. And more importantly, we are trying to remove the concept of it being purely transactionally focused. I think too often you find brokers who are entirely focused on getting a contract signed, going to closing, and then either paying off their credit card bill or shopping at Bergdorf's. I think there has to be a much longer-term mentality towards the consumer, and I think we infuse that in everything we do in the um, company. It's a combination of all the traditional elements of real estate brokerage, but it infuses a whole host of technological advancements that make the broker more effective and ultimately the consumer more um, effective in what I was going to say it sounds to me like your differentiator is, among a few other things, the technology that you use in your company. Tell us a little bit about that technology and why it is so different Well, Oriolon, or how it helps. Oriolon, <clears throat> who's one of the co-founders of uh, Compass, is a really brilliant scientist. So the technology we're building in the company, and it's built all internally and fully integrated, this technology is being built by a group of almost 30 scientists and engineers, not tech people. And I think there's a vast difference. Oriolon, one of the uh, co-founders of our company, is a tech genius and a superstar in the tech industry um, who 
wrote the algorithms that drive Google's search today. So his impact on the planet has already, at the tender age of, I think he's 35 years old, has been phenomenal and uh, reached all four corners of the globe, if there's a corner in a globe. And I think if you take that um, intelligence, intellect, and ability and infuse it into the transactional and uh, transactional element as well as the entire world of real estate, you really can build very exciting things. What is the what is the population uh, like in your company? Uh, new to experienced in on the in the agent pool. I'd say 99% of the brokers in our company have at least three to four years worth of experience, but we have a pretty um, potent group of really outstanding brokers now. And um, I, I would say we want to make sure that people have some past experience because as much as the company is a startup, it is a, a grouping together of highly experienced individuals who have spectacular collective experience having done what they do now in the past – but bringing it to the table, reimagining it, reinventing it, and being in an environment that allows you to do so. And so, for example, the younger, the younger, newer agent that come on board, is, do you have a, a significant training program that you take them through? Uh, and is it a mentor, mentorship program, or is it just a you know a, a classroom led? Uh, instruction situation for new agents? We really don't believe in pure classroom style education because I think it doesn't get, uh, it doesn't resonate as well. So there's a lot of one-on-one. The majority of it is one-on-one and we do have certain group um, elements to our training as well. But it's any professional today who doesn't believe they have to be re-educated on a regular basis is deluded, myself included. I read for at least two hours every day and I try to re-educate myself constantly and I have done so for the last 20 years. I I believe in that. Uh, You know, certainly starting your day off reading about the industry, reading about what's new and there's certainly enough to do out there by way of reading that keeps you fresh and that keeps you informed. On the development side, you have helped create some of the most iconic residential buildings here in New York. You know, for example, two of them, 150 Charles and 211th. What was your inspiration with those buildings? I mean, really unbelievable buildings. Well, we're working on some spectacular buildings now as well with some of the world's greatest architects, including Tado Ando. We have a building uh, on 53rd Street <clears throat> by Norman Foster with um, A.B. Rosen's group, RFR. And I think it has all been born out of a desire to create beautiful product Starting out as a real estate agent, I was quite shocked at the low quality of a lot of the housing stock in New York City, which is a very high-end market. And you look at some of these very high-priced properties and you kind of shudder at the quality they deliver. So I felt at one point it was time to be involved in um, that end of the business. So many years ago, I started um, involving myself in new development and the creation of outstanding um, buildings 211th Avenue, for example, um, the developer had found this great site and had an exquisite building designed. But when I started getting involved in that project, I said, let's scrap this building because I've seen it before. You want very high pricing. Every agency in the, in the city had told him pricing of a certain level and he wanted a much higher price. I said, if you want that price, you have to build something extraordinary. And I've always felt that a developer should build something that's recession-proof. Build something that's so great, so wonderful that there's always a market for it. And involving great design into that product always makes for a better product in my opinion. Couldn't agree with you more. Do you think that there is still a marketplace going into 2015 as we've already gotten into 2015 to absorb these prices in buildings like this? 
Look, New Yorkers, unfortunately, for all we think we're such individuals and so unique at what we do, and um, the, the exact opposite is true. I find an intensely frustrating level of herd mentality in New York, and I find that uh, if someone's doing one kind of thing, everyone rushes and copies that. It's almost like the fashion industry. <clears throat> And I think um, it's important to, like Wayne Gretzky, look at where that puck is heading, not where it is right now, to know what the next move is. And I think in 2015, 2016, you will see pockets of the market that will have oversupply. There's no question about it. And just like all stocks, they're going to be winners and losers. And I think there are some ir- – there's irrational exuberance among some developers for pretty mundane, ordinary product. But I think unlike any um, market prior to this – there is an extraordinary level of quality in the marketplace that didn't exist before. So we've definitely helped push that bar higher by keeping on building buildings where the consumer actually sees value, recognizes it, and is willing to pay for it. We also should never underestimate the volume of wealth creation around the world, yes, but that's really 5 to 10% of our audience. The wealth creation in the United States of America is extraordinary and the United States of America funds a lot of the rest of the world and benefits by that growth. All right. So we need to take a break. We will be right back with Leonard Steinberg. Don't go away. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Put Blue Realty Group to work for you. Blue Realty Group is a full-service luxury real estate brokerage firm in Manhattan. With our global reach, unrivaled marketing capabilities, and veteran team, Blue serves some of the world's most exclusive and high-profile buyers and sellers. Visit us today at BlueRealtyGroup.com. At Blue Realty Group, we feel that people matter and results count. Our mission with you is to meet and deliver expectations to drive the results you want. We're ready now. Visit BlueRealtyGroup.com. That's B-L-U-RealtyGroup.com. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. That's vrocco at blurealtygroup.com. Now, back to the show. All right, we're back, everybody, with Leonard Steinberg. Leonard, so you say that you start each morning... Uh, writing a letter to your company on a topic of interest. Recently, you shared thoughts about the emerging affordable luxury market that you feel should be termed attainable luxury. After all, what is so affordable about, affordable about any real estate in a large city? Can you explain your thought there? Well, I think uh, it stems from the fact that too many agents and brokers and human beings in New York City are completely deluded about the value of money. We have lost complete sight of what a million dollars means. A million dollars is not that much in New York City when it comes to shopping for real estate. But anywhere else in the world, a million dollars is a fortune. A million dollars across the river is a lot of money. In fact, I think a million dollars is still a fortune. So when people talk about, well, this apartment's $2.5 million, so it's very affordable. Really? And if something is that affordable, how luxurious is it then? 
So if it's on a sale rack, who really wants it? You know, sale racks are great if you're getting a great bargain, but it diminishes the quality, I believe, of what you're selling. So from a marketing perspective, affordable sounds cheap to me. And when it's two and a half million dollars, affordable sounds ridiculous to me. I think it's more attainable luxury because there are absolute price points beyond which a consumer simply cannot go further. So I've seen it even at $20 million where you say, well, it's, I've seen brokers say, well, it's only 22. It's just another $2 million. I turn to the broker usually and say, I bet you have $2 million in your pocket. Go haul it out and give it to your client if it's that nothing. In your opinion, how, <laughs> in your opinion, how did we get there? Because I think, what is the st- statistic? Less than 10% of the the selling market out there is the Uber expensive apartments and everything else is is down you know under that 10%. So it's like or more than 10%. So how do we only focus in this area this town on that segment which think, is a very you say luxury you say quality I agree with all that but how did we get there? I think we live in a Kartrashian society where headline <laughs> trumps all. <laughs> you know, I think everyone loves a headline and what is more interesting <clears throat> talking about a charming couple who found a lovely apartment in Brooklyn for $800,000 or talking about a Russian oligarch who bought a $75 million property. The headline that is the most grandiose and loud is always going to win in this world. And it's unfortunate, but it's a reality. We have to deal with it. Your opinion on the $150 million penthouse at uh, the Sony building on Madison Avenue and 57th Street? I think it's grossly underpriced. I would have gone for half a billion. I mean, it's all monopoly money now anyway. Be careful what you wish for because you're going to get there eventually. You were quoted as saying under uh, under promising and over uh, delivering is everything. Tell us about that. Well, I agree with that actually. I've lived a life of watching everyone, including myself, fall flat on their face when promising more than that which they deliver. And I've always believed the joy of a pleasant surprise is so much greater than a disappointment. Who in life wants to be disappointed? So I've always believed that under promise, do your homework, do your best work and over deliver and everyone's going to love you for it. The expectation in the real estate industry, though, with our clients often is they I believe they expect a lot more in the transaction or throughout the deal then is even, you know, necessary or possible. How, you know, wh- where does that come from? I mean, and I think you said earlier, it's our job as as agents and brokers to, you know, keep the expectation, you know, in the right place through, you know, the right means. But why does this expectation get a little crazy sometimes? What is it about real estate that makes people crazy? Real estate is highly emotional. It is the equivalent of a death or a divorce. But most importantly, when you think of a real estate transaction, I tell every agent, don't forget for one moment just how much money is being traded here. And that consumer has every right on the planet to expect substantial service, more so than you can expect, because that's where the world is today. It's providing more, not less, especially to the high end. So when you look at commission checks of $100,000 and $200,000, and you think how much you have to study and work to earn $200,000 in a year in other industries, you better work really hard for that money. You better over-deliver and you better do everything necessary to make that consumer happy, including absorbing some of their pain. Because it is very stressful. It is highly emotional at every price point, including amongst the most serious commercial buyers who are pure investors. They have emotion too when it comes to real estate. It is not just facts and figures. It is tangible assets and the money is huge. You're talking about masses of amounts of money. 
$800,000 for someone who is earning $200,000 a year is a fortune. $50 million to Warren Buffett is not chump change. I remember when my parents built their house, it was $30,000 and the, we thought the world was going to collapse at $30,000. Your point is well taken. I mean wh- where we've come to is incredible. Absorbing your, your, your client's pain, that, that's very well put. I do though in managing lots of agents sometimes wonder how smart these agents are about doing just that. And I wonder sometimes if deals go awry, it's because they don't understand that there's a certain responsibility that they have as agents to make sure that all of that stuff is in check. And I don't think that they do that well in some cases. And I think that's when deals go crazy. I think deals also go crazy because brokers do not spend enough time up front really educating the consumer as to what they should expect. I think uh, every uh, healthy marriage sets expectations. I think every relationship in the world sets expectations. And I think the broker-client relationship doesn't set enough expectations for the client to be truly informed as to what they should anticipate. If you anticipate things, something in the back of your brain registers that this may be coming. So when Mm. it happens, it subdues the effects of it just a little bit. But we are here to absorb some of that. And I will advise every agent on the planet, take a small course in psychology. Go read a book on psychology. Learn the understandings of the human mind to be able to transact intelligently and have conversations with your clients that actually calm them down and refocus them on what they're there for. And what's important and certainly what's not important. You are known for your incredible style. Where does this come from? Uh, along with my fake British accent, <laughs> I actually, being in fashion, am a, a frustrated fashion designer in real estate right now. So the only opportunity I have for a fashion outlet is shopping and designing my own clothes. So I have all my uh, suits custom made. And that is my one outlet for doing some design in the fashion world. No one's buying it, of course, but I'll wear it. No, I don't know. I think people are buying it for sure. <laughs> So your company's valuation is strong and healthy. What is the belief in your firm's mission? I mean, why are people so interested in making sure that you guys are not only here today, but that you're going to be here tomorrow and through the next you know, generations as a real estate firm, uh, leader in technology, whatever? What, what, what's, what's the belief in, in Compass? Well, it's not just my belief in Compass because that would be a little biased. But when you have a company like Goldman Sachs heavily invested in Compass, when you have some of the leading real estate families of New York City, including the Tisch family, the Rudens, the Kushners, behind this company, you can be certain that the world has said there is a need in the marketplace for a specific kind of real estate brokerage that is slightly different from what is there already. I believe, by the way, that there are outstanding compass-style agents that exist in all companies and I think there is a mentality about what we're doing at Compass that makes it attractive to a lot of agents. But more importantly, I believe I want agents to have a home where they feel comfortable in innovating, comfortable in feeling they are not the hired help, but in fact that they are the client to the company. And more importantly, I want the consumer to know that when they email or pick up the phone or text or do whatever to Compass, that the consistency of quality that they will get from this company is so extraordinary that it's reliable. Just the way we rely on Uber, just the way we rely on an Apple product. Technology can really infuse efficiencies in human beings, but they cannot replace human beings. Absolutely correct. What are, what are uh, if any, expansion plans for Compass? I mean, I've read some things about um, moving to Florida or opening in Florida, our nation's capital in D.C. 
What are, the, what are the future plans for Compass? Any more offices around New York City? In this climate, we should all move to Florida. <laughs> but uh, Especially we, this morning, for sure. We actually have opened offices in Washington, D.C. already. They've in two months already doubled in size and will continue to grow. Uh, we will grow in New York and we will grow in other cities where we feel the demand for what we do is uh, needed. But absolutely, the plan is to expand this into other regions. We have interest Across the globe, we actually um, were spoken about at Davos in Switzerland. We're spoken about in Sydney, Australia. When I walk through the little alleys of Capri, people ask, what is Compass? So the word has definitely gotten out, and it's a very exciting time to build something that I think will be truly exceptional. Would you consider an international presence if, if, if you know it made sense uh, for the company somewhere down the road? Have you ever tried your... to buy real estate in France? No. Compass is needed in France. You know? <laughs> I think you just need a credit card. <laughs> Seriously. All right, we've got a few minutes left. Take us through a typical day for Leonard Steinberg from when you wake up in the morning until you, you know, retire in the evenings, and I'm sure your days are as long as mine or longer. Well, I wake up uh, around 6 o'clock in the morning, and I'm usually very happy because I actually woke up. Um, <laughs> it's like, oh, I'm not dead. Um, Here's another day. <laughs> um, I usually start the morning um, – by reading intensely, I write a memo to the entire company and then I go through a host of emails and calls that I can make early in the morning. I have usually a 45-minute workout, <clears throat> um, anything and everything to maintain uh, the suits because they are fitted. And there's a, there's a moment in winter where you eat just a little bit too much. And <laughs> if you notice, my shirt is tucked out today, not tucked in, <laughs> minor detail. Then I um, – Every day, is, every day is very, very varied in my world. It could start at a, you know, a radio show or it could start at a uh, developer's meeting. It could start doing an appointment in my building or uptown. Um, the great thing about being in real estate I think that everyone enjoys is that there are no two days that are alike. Um, but I do have specific disciplines I do every single day and that is I will be certain to write 10 emails a day to someone that I had not planned to. Well, I will have planned to write specifically to them that there were not responses. I will do my um, letter to the company, a memo to the company. I will definitely read every day and I will be certain to see at least five properties every day of my life, even when on vacation, by the way. It's an addiction. Uh, I completely understand. Listen, we've run out of time. Unfortunately, you are a complete inspiration. Your company is uh, something that I watch closely, and so do many other people. Good luck to you. Good luck to Compass, and we hope you come back again. Thank you very much. We will be right back with Lion Porter. Don't go away. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Put Blue Realty Group to work for you. Blue Realty Group is a full-service luxury real estate brokerage firm in Manhattan. With our global reach, unrivaled marketing capabilities, and veteran team, Blue serves some of the world's most exclusive and high-profile buyers and sellers. Visit us today at BlueRealtyGroup.com. At Blue Realty Group, we feel that people matter and results count. Our mission with you is to meet and deliver expectations to drive the results you want. We're ready now. Visit BlueRealtyGroup.com. That's B-L-U-RealtyGroup.com. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com.
You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. That's vrocco at blurealtygroup.com. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we're back, and we're going to be talking to Lion Porter. As I said at the top of the show, I first became aware of Lion in early 2014 when the Real Deal named him one of real estate's top rising stars. He hasn't disappointed. Lion, good morning, and thank you for coming to see us at Good Morning New York. Good morning, Miss. Thanks for having me. So my first question to you is, you know, your rise and success in real estate in this town has been thunderous and very fast moving. How do you explain this? You know, I was a professional hockey player before real estate, and – I was never really that good at hockey. Uh, I couldn't skate that well. I don't believe that. (laughs) Um, But I really wanted to be a professional hockey player, and I took a lot of that persistence and determination. And I think that you you don't have to be the smartest guy in the world to be good at real estate. You just need to have a work ethic and have an honest kind of Midwestern uh, attitude, (laughs) which I have. I think people trust me for whatever reason. Um, So hard work and kind of, you know, really being an honest person, I think, has uh, helped Right. So when I hear athlete, when I hear hockey, I hear competition, I hear competitiveness Mm -hmm. in this particular world, small world of real estate in New York. How do you, you know, apply that competitiveness from the sports world to the real estate world? Because obviously it's hand in hand, right? Yeah. And there's a certain need for that to be successful, I believe. There is. There is. You know, I was when I was training uh, as a new agent, I did uh, six deals in my first month and then I was rookie of the year for the company. And, and uh, I remember my sales guru, which was my manager's dad, he was an old garment district guy. And he said, you know, what's the most important skill of a boxer? And all the other guys in the room and, and this one gal, you know, the ability to punch, the ability to punch. And, I, and I, I had fought a lot in hockey. And I said, the ability to take a punch. And he goes, no one's ever gotten that in 20 years. You know? And it was this like, really kind of defining moment where you know, the ability to take a punch, not necessarily to give one. Because everyone you know, in this industry or many people swing, swing, swing. Um, but as you know, you get a lot of doors shut in your face and you get a lot of opportunities. You know, the bad beats are the ones you remember um, more so than, than the, the wins. So I think it's a lot of you know, getting up every day. You know, getting hit or or getting a door shut and saying, oh, next one, and, and just kind of keeping that positive attitude. You've done really well, as I said, through your career, but you recently left town residential and are now with Corcoran, and you're going to be handling sales uh, at 45 East 22nd Street. What inspired you to make that move? You know, Corcoran's the number one new development marketing firm uh, in New York City, and 45 East 22nd Street is uh, a mountain that a uh, continuing company is building on 22nd between Prague and Broadway. It's it's really an honor to be uh, a part of it. It's going to be 777 feet tall with 83 units. And uh, the views are going to be truly spectacular. Um, it's going to tower over one Madison, which you know set records, obviously, downtown. So right now it's the only tower between 23rd and Chambers uh, for sale in New York City uh, of that magnitude. And, and to be a part of that was, uh, was something that I, I was really excited about. When does the sales office for that development open or is it already open? It just opened a few weeks ago and, and right now we're, uh, uh, we're about 20% sold. So it's, uh, the, the velocity for that market is, uh, is picking up if anything. And it's just, it's amazing. Uh, the amount of interest we've had. My word for the day is inspiring. So my question to you is what about new development sales is inspiring? coming from management background, coming from, you know, just being an agent background. What about, you know, new development is inspiring to you? What do you see in new development? 
Yeah, and it, just you. You know, I have my master's in real estate development from NYU, and, and one of the reasons I went and got that degree while I was an agent was because I, th- I believe it's the highest form of real estate. It's also the riskiest, right? So it's it's a real balance of design, architecture, luck, um, timing, hitting everything perfectly. So while it's the riskiest, it's also the most creative. Um, I'm also a developer. I've developed a property. So, you know, it's uh, I think the most creative. Everything is very transactional in real estate. And I think new development is a different business altogether. It's very much um, thoughtful and it can take three, four, five years on a project to see it come to its full completion or not come to its completion. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's uh, I think it's the highest form of real estate in New York City. Yeah, I've certainly had my my um, hands in new development for years and I agree with you. And, and it's also intriguing because you meet so many different people yeah. uh, and, you know, you uh, make lifelong friends and you've got clients, you know, for forever. We talked about your career um, in um, in hockey. You know, when you when you were leaving that and you were coming into New York City, what what was it about real estate that you really wanted to you know focus on? What did you want to become in a real estate group? Did you want to be a developer? Did you want to be a, just an agent? Did you want to be you know the owner of a company? What about you know the 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 genre of real estate? Uh, did you think you were going to tackle and become you know the, the best at? You know, I, I think I I used to meet a lot of new agents as a manager and. Uh, it's a great question, right? Because when you're coming into New York real estate, you want to get into real estate. What does right. that mean? Right. And you have no idea. I had absolutely no idea what real estate meant. I just thought it wasn't a desk job. And I knew from an internship in finance that I did not want a desk job, nor did I want to be in finance. So I thought right. it was, yeah, yeah, right. I thought it was cool. I said, hey, you know, I can come to New York and I, I'll run around in the city that I love. And I think that was what I was interested in was being a part of something that I loved. It was easy to sell New York because I loved it. So to see it from inside out, to run around and see the nooks and crannies and to look outside of the windows that I was looking in from the street was was amazing. Now, I had no clue. And I went to commercial companies and you know other development companies and no one would hire me. No one, no one said, hey, a hockey player. Like you have nothing to real – but a residential real estate company, oh, sure. Yeah, give me a <laughs> shot. Uh, you know, so it was more here's of a – Here's your desk. Here's your phone. Here's yeah. your computer to make it happen. Good luck. Right? Process Good of luck. elimination. <laughs> right. So I had no clue what I was doing. Yeah. Um, but it, it worked out. It certainly did for you. Let's talk about Urban Cowboy. I'm intrigued by your bed and breakfast in Brooklyn, Williamsburg, I believe. Yeah. Uh, it's a rustic country existence in the heart of an urban city. Quite a concept. What was the goal here? And being you know, the top real estate broker that you are, a dad, and probably don't have a lot of time in your day, where did this come from? How do you do this? You know, I was, I was developing the building and I was kind of building my dream house. And, and my dream house had garage doors on both sides of it, front and back. And I could open it to inside and outside. It had a tree in the front yard. It's a freestanding building. So, uh, and in the back I built, and it all started in the back. There was this overbuilt house um, on the back of the lot. And I said, you know, if I can't have my place upstate and my, my, my place in the city, I'm just going to build a cabin in Brooklyn. And so I started designing and building a log cabin in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. And from there, um, you know, the clawfoot tub and the potbelly stove and the rough-hewn yellow and white pine and, you know, these Adirondack headboards, I started to really say, there's something here. And I created kind of a design aesthetic um, that's my own, which is kind of rustic luxury. Um, It's very Brooklyn. It's very, um, you know, of the now in terms of I like metal, leather, and wood. And, the, and my, my aesthetic is you know, my, your favorite leather jacket, right? The more you beat it up, the better it looks and feels. And I think that things age that way. They're a little more classical. 
So then I brought the rest of that into the townhouse and, and it had that rough hewn feeling but it was a little bit more luxurious and not so much a cabin. Um, and then, you know, Architectural Digest picked it up and New York Magazine and this. And so the last year, you know, uh, Urban Cowboy B&B has 15,000 followers on Instagram, right? So it's one of those things that's kind of caught wildfire and there's there's this escapism to it. And I used to do a lot of staycations in hotels in New York and really love that. So I, I think that New Yorkers... Um, and people from all over the world kind of just have, have responded to the design. Well, I was going to ask you, who then are your typical guests? I mean, you know, in urban in urban Williamsburg, who are your guests? You know, it's wild. I was just, uh, you know, with a couple uh, this weekend who live two blocks away and wanted to stay in a cabin for the weekend, but they didn't <laughs> want to drive upstate. Um, and they're mixing with, you know, some Europeans and also someone from Japan in the parlor all having breakfast together. So... You really never know. I mean, one weekend we had all staycationers, and it was uh, it was hilarious. Everyone was like, where, "Where are you from? Greenpoint, you know? Where are you from? Gosh. Upper West Side." <laughs> uh, so it, you really never know. We're going to get to Japan in a minute because I have a question for you. But what are your thoughts? We have a few minutes left. What are your thoughts on on social media as it applies to your real estate business, as it applies to your bed and breakfast, Urban Cowboy? Do you find it beneficial in your in your world or not? I do. I think it's you know the the most meaningful form of connection in terms of social media is Instagram by far right now. Um, I've met more people on Instagram in the past year that I'm truly friends with. And we're talking about from all over the world. Who that's then, something. It's a beacon. And you send out this beacon and you say, hi, I'm here in the world. And then someone finds you. There's some weird way. They're following someone who's following you, who's following you. And then they reach out to you or they come stay with you. Are you talking about Lion Porter or are you talking about the B&B site or both? Both. Okay. Both. But, but it, you know, the B&B has um, kind of caught wildfire in terms of that. Um, but now people are finding me through the B&B for real estate and mm -hmm. my design and, and I'm working with a lot of developers on what that market wants. And so it's been um, – it's really been an authentic journey with that. And I have, you know, really, really amazing people that I still keep in contact with that – I've visited six times now that they would never have found me if it wasn't for Instagram. And now some of them are real estate developers who now want me to design on their projects. So it's it's kind of hand in hand. It's been amazing. You mentioned Japan and I was going to ask you in my research, I found that the in Japan GQ highlighted you recently or profiled you recently. Tell us about that. Yeah, that's uh, good homework. Lion Porter and GQ. There. Yeah. <laughs> Niall would be jealous. There you go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, good homework, Vince. Thank uh, you. Yeah, so I was just in GQ actually um, this month as the navigator for uh, vintage items in New York. I mean, these are the kind of things that, that are happening now. It's, it's kind of amazing. Um, Travel and Leisure is actually doing a full page spread on me personally next month of upcoming hoteliers. So it's um it's been uh it's been a wild ride and and the Japanese they absolutely love the cowboy thing. Mm -hmm. They love cowboys, they love Americana. Um and so uh so yeah, the way they dissect it too, it's really amazing. They they'll look at you and take a picture and then take every piece of something you're wearing and where it's from and then tell a story about it. So it's it's almost like they take the big picture and then the next page is a little pictures of everything you're doing. Um, so that's been kind of fun to see the different cultures and how they look at design and, and, and style. What inspires Lion Porter every day to be the best that he can be? You've obviously proven in several areas that you can do great things. What inspires you every day when you get up, as Leonard was talking about earlier today? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, it, every day is different, right? Um, I don't know who I'll be meeting that day, who will be staying with me, who, you know, who I'll meet on the street in terms of, uh, you know, brokers, clients, developers, 
Um, but it's the it's a driving force of of doing things that I enjoy. And I think that you know I always talk about people tell me why is this cowboy? The, the cowboy represents um, a sense of freedom in America, right? The cowboy represents you living your truth, or you know, to not be cheesy. That is my goal every day. It is not only to do my best, but to do my best doing things that I enjoy and I authentically will be good at. Because I've found that if I enjoy it, I'm good at it. I'm lucky enough to do that. So if I'm authentic in the way I'm experiencing my life and I'm really putting myself in places that I'm passionate about, that usually shines through. So whether it's a tower that I uh, you know, really think is going to change the skyline, it will change the skyline, or a townhouse in Brooklyn, or, you know, or just being with my son and actually you know, spending time, I, I think it's you know, things that I'm passionate about. I think a great word is exploration. Exploration. And that coming back to the cowboy and what yeah. Leonard was saying, I think a true broker who loves what they do, I think we love exploring mm. and blending all these different areas together, which it, I think you touched upon. Yeah, it's not just transactional, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. It, it's, yeah. it's what, you know, it shouldn't be just transactional. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. All right, listen, we have to stop right there. We have to take a break. But first, you are listening to Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. That was Lion Porter. We will be right back. Don't go away. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Put Blue Realty Group to work for you. Blue Realty Group is a full-service luxury real estate brokerage firm in Manhattan. With our global reach, unrivaled marketing capabilities, and veteran team, Blue serves some of the world's most exclusive and high-profile buyers and sellers. Visit us today at BlueRealtyGroup.com. At Blue Realty Group, we feel that people matter and results count. Our mission with you is to meet and deliver expectations to drive the results you want. We're ready now. Visit BlueRealtyGroup.com. That's B-L-U-RealtyGroup.com. Stimulating talk. It gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. That's vrocco at blurealtygroup.com. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we're back. And I want to say thanks once again to Leonard Steinberg and Lion Porter. We are here with uh, our panel uh, Phil Horgan from LeaseBreak.com and Rachel Altschuler from Douglas Elliman. You know, we want to talk about, you know, <laughs> some of the highs that we've talked about throughout this program, Uber luxury penthouses, townhouses, whether they be in Brooklyn or in New York. I want to mention this studio situation that's going. It says, bye-bye to the little guy. Market forces are now driving studio apartments to extinction. So builders find it's far more profitable to develop larger apartments, but their actions are driving studio prices way up. The studio in New York mainstay going back to almost World War I will soon become extinct as developers focus more on building large units which generate higher returns. Listings for studios in developments compose uh, just 4% of the units in Manhattan down from 15% and 13% uh, according to uh, the marketing firm Corcoran Sunshine. And as of January, 
Just 30 such apartments were on the market compared with 161 in January of 2012. So my question to you guys is, has the enormous pricing of apartments been the reason that studios are falling out of fashion? I mean, as I think I asked Leonard earlier in the, in the morning, this morning, I mean, everybody seems to be focused on that 10% or less of the Uber marketplace, the higher crazy prices. Is everybody losing sight of, well, there is still a need for a studio and still a need for, you know, someplace to live that's affordable? I think what's throwing people off is talking about affordable luxury. And I love that Leonard said attainable luxury because affordable luxury shouldn't be a two bedroom for four million. Correct. And developers are now focusing on price per square foot and what they can get for their project and the the bottom line. And, and so that is cutting out the studios. Um, there is such a need for first-time buyers, pied-a-terre buyers, empty nesters in the city that I would assume that prices are going to go you know, way up in the coming years for those size apartments. Yeah, I mean, studios. I, think, I think things go in waves, personally. Like, I think right now, I think a lot of developers are building the larger form factor that's working. But now there's no studios. So I'm sure we'll see developers starting to build studios in the future. So I, I, I do think it goes in waves. Yeah, and, and I also work on developments uh, for people that buy and then rent out the project. So I think in rentals, they will be focusing on studios, ones and twos. Yeah. Instead yeah. of the, the sale condos, which is the two, threes and fours. Mm -hmm. You know, it's interesting. I, I worked on the micro housing RFP with uh, the Durst organization, and it was really interesting to see. And I think you guys are all right. And, and you know, that things come in waves and also the, the renting out. But as our society goes to affordable or attainable luxury, right? Mm -hmm. What do you do and how do you do that and how do you build that? The only way to build that is to build smaller apartments. So you're going to see, I think, tiny little junior one bedrooms and extremely small under a thousand square foot two bedrooms, if not three bedrooms, right? Where you're a family and, you know, you look at you know, Asia really as, as the leader to this. It's not crazy to see a tiny, tiny three bedroom for a thousand square feet or 1100 square feet, you know, in Japan. So I think that if we look to Asia for kind of where our market's going, that wave, I think, might mix that affordable or attainable luxury with new products. Agreed. I actually had a client once who wanted to put her nanny in the compactor room. <laughs> oh, man. Well, there you have it. <laughs> <laughs> going to attainable your point. Attainable luxury. That's right. Yeah. New York real estate mm -hmm. needs doesn't get any better than that. But Rachel and I have had separate experiences in new development through the years. And uh, you're, you're right on there, Lion, because, you know, listen, I made a career out of selling you know, 950 square foot, two bedrooms and, you know, studios and, and one bedrooms that are, you know, 550 to 650 square feet and used to sell like hotcakes. And so my question, you know, my last question on the studio is, you know, is is there going to be a marketplace for studios in the 600 to $750,000 price range? I mean, who's going to be able, because let's, let's not forget who buys studios. You, usually, First-time buyers, you know, mostly younger folk. Who, I mean, how do you afford this? You know, six hundred, say, to seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Is it doable? Is it attainable? I think there's a pure price break, right? Wouldn't you say? Well, at I some think point? keeping under the mansion tax is huge psychologically for buyers. Mm -hmm. And um, I took someone out yesterday to a new development, and he is more than qualified to purchase something in the millions. However, he wanted to stay under the one million mark. And in new development, it's actually hard for those of you out there that don't know the New York City market. A studio in a new development is 1.2 and up. Yeah. And that is really hard for someone to wrap their head around um, when you're talking about under 500 square feet. 
Mm-hmm. And so what's happening is developers, if they're smart, they will do taller ceilings, floor to ceiling windows, uh, white plank flooring, you know, those things to sort of make that studio a little bit more romantic. On one level, I can see like for empty nesters or people who really truly need a pied terre because mm-hmm. they're not going to be living in the city. Certainly, they're going to be, you know, second and third time buyers. So they have the wherewithal to pay $1.2 million for a studio. So I can see that would possibly be the audience. But again, I go back to the the typical profile of the studio buyer. That purchaser is really just starting out, wanting to own a piece of the rock. My first apartment in town was a studio, um, and it was affordable because it was a studio. So you know, then you graduate up into what you are today. So it's interesting to see where this market's going to go. I just saw one recently on the market for one point seven million dollars, and I thought, <laughs> mm, okay, for a studio, that's 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 good. well, you can put a wall up. The broker said, okay, great, I'll, I'll <laughs> yeah. put a wall up for another, you know, whatever. Moving on, how much is a higher floor worth? All other things being equal, square footage, apartment condition, layout, etc. How much more is a higher floor really worth in a building? That's the question under discussion on StreetEasy.com where efforts to assign an exact number in the 5K to 10K range, 1% per floor, come to no clear conclusion. And some even argue that apartments that are too high up, say above the 15th floor, suffer from impaired river views and should get a demerit instead of a boost. How are higher floors calculated in purchase prices when you're all out there talking to sellers and someone says, well, the 10th floor sold for X, I'm on the 15th floor, so I should immediately get a premium. Is that Um, true? I I think pricing is definitely an art, not a science. And it really, really depends on the situation. Uh, I've heard the 1% figure. I think that's in some some situations a little high. We sometimes use 0.5%. It also depends if there's a view break or not. You know, sometimes you you go up a floor and if all of a sudden there's a great view, that could jump it up 10%, 15%. So, I mean, it really, really depends. I mean, it takes a lot of analysis. You need to look at the building, what is sold. You you can see the history of the prices and just see what buyer, ultimately it's what buyers are willing to pay for. So there's no real exact formula you could apply. The opposite is true for walk-up buildings. Keep that in mind. Mm. Right. So is there a merit to being on a higher floor in a building? Why is it such that everybody says, I need to be on a higher floor? Is it view? Is it just they think they're getting less noise? I mean, what is it about being on a higher floor that's so attractive to a purchaser? Yeah, I think, you know, when when I talk to people about buying and I do a lot of buyer representation, people, you know, say, I say, what are you looking for? You know, and they go, well, I'm looking for light. And then that's like the first thing they say, space and light, right? So I think if you're on a lower floor and you have a dark apartment, it will greatly affect values. And this is where the art comes in, right? Now, if you're on a tower, a high view can garner anywhere on a view break. Let's say if the 40th floor has no view in Midtown, but the 41st floor looks forever protected south, you might be talking about a Mm $500,000, if not a million dollar break. So again, that that goes into you know vertical comps, right? Mm-hmm. It's a vertical city. So how do you comp it on a walk up? It's going to be a, a a downturn. On a on a tower, it's going to be a million dollar break, and then somewhere in the middle, maybe ten or twenty grand. And then you have that, like you said, that medium where. You know, if the fifth floor just clears the mechanicals and then right. the sixth floor is wide open, right. there's a huge break versus three and four. Exactly. So yeah. it's, it's great. There it's might a, be no difference on three or four. Exactly. And then throwing one more thing into the mix, doorman versus a non-doorman building, high floor or low floor. Does that factor into 
uh, how we price apartments. Always. Everything factors in. And that's why pricing, you know, I think we all, wherever we go, oh, what's my apartment worth? And it's not an easy question. First, we have to see the space. We have to understand the building, understand the market. There's layout, there's condition, there's, um, is there litigation in the building? How are the financials? What are the reserves? There's so much that goes into it besides just what floor, what's the view and the market is hot. I'm about to do that later this afternoon with with sellers and it's interesting how we can come there with all of our guns loaded, all of our facts and all of our information proper and right in line with what we think the price should be. And then you sit across from them. Then what do they say? Right? Lions laughing. More. What do they say? Oh, no, no, more. no, no. That's not going to work. I want more. Yeah. Right. Now you're backpedaling, right? And you're trying to yeah. figure out, well, how do I get into this number or get to that number? Mm-hmm. Hopefully it's, they're not listening right now. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully they're not, they're not listening right now. All right. Listen, we're out of time for today. That is our show. Thanks again to Lion Porter and Leonard Steinberg and, of course, my panelist. That's Good Morning New York for this week. We are back next Tuesday morning at 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific, live here on Voice America. You can always catch the day, uh, the show later in the day on podcast. For all of us at Voice America, all around the world, thanks for joining us, and I'll see you next time. Bye, everybody. Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join us for another edition of Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Here's hoping all of your transactions are successful ones. 